Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to episode 28, recorded on September 29, 2021. Our guest today is once again, Katherine Harrison, a performance coach who helps get the most out of companies by drilling down into what makes people tick. You can call it a form of industrial psychology. She also has a book called Three Colors, 12 Notes. We had such a good time that we just kept on talking. So this is the second half of our conversation. First, though, we need to get to Grant Furlane with his tech news. So, Grant, what could you have possibly found out for tech news this time around? Well, it's getting harder and harder, of course, because you keep reading and learning, and now you're starting to be a tech expert like us. <laughs> but I got some good ones, maybe. You and I talk a lot about artificial intelligence, or how we say AI, and um, the newest thing now is what they call deep voice. That is, oh, you know, there is. Yeah, criminals are now using deep voice to rob banks. Right. So this is basically taking a sample from uh, a voice recording and then what? reconstructing that person's voice to say anything you want them to say. Like we talked about before, remember? We were talking about it before, and now we're back to it again. But what's amazing is we talked about it. We didn't read anything about it as far as crime. Some guys stole $35 million from the United Arabs Bank uh, by, by learning about 15 different voices in the company of his directors and so on, and went on to do this complete act job, acting job by calling them and doing arranging for the transfer, and they got it. $35 million U.S. So they were able to social engineer this. Yes. These fake voices. <laughs> and, and people, they recognize the voice and they did. Yeah. Oh, hi, Mr. Oh, yeah, yeah. I deal with you all the time. Yeah. So it was a very sophisticated scam. And how much money did they make out with? $35 million U.S. Wow. And involved around, uh, involved 17 people. So just think of this. Um, it's a whole new tech. Like AI is just... An, unloading itself everywhere. And of course, the only way to stop this is to find ways to not allow this, obviously. Right. Well, I, I worried greatly about deep fake uh, videos, deep void, deep fake voice. Same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got an American election coming up next year and then another presidential election in 2024. We already have a lot of disinformation on platforms like Facebook and wherever else where we're not sure what the truth is. So if I end up seeing a video of, let's say, Joe Biden sounding... It might not be him. It may not be him. That's it. It's unbelievable, I know. That's what they're saying, by the way, that even on Facebook, who knows if those videos with Tom Cruise or whatever, apparently he's got some out there. Mm -hmm. There's some videos on, and it's not him. No, somebody used that as a proof of concept. Yes, you're right. You're right. If I was Tom Cruise, I'd be freaking. So, by the way, I'm me. So you know that. Okay, good. And so okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So send me. So you can send me that five (laughs) dollars. Okay. This leads into. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead, Alan. I, I worry about this because you know I do a lot of voice work. 
Uh, I know you do. And and the idea, and I've, I've seen this come up where you have this text-to-speech thing and you can have your narration by somebody that sounds exactly like me or anybody else you want without actually paying me. Well, think of that. That affects you in a big way because that's your business. Yes. Your, your voice is your asset. Okay. Your, your trademark. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, I can assure you we won't do that to you. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, it does lead me to a very similar thing that you and I talked about before, but I think this is cool in a way. We had a, we had a, uh, a session on music. And on one of the news music things, I talked about cloning music. And we talked about how it would be. Well, I don't know if you know, but um, AI just finished Beethoven's last symphony. So he only had like eight bars or something. Down. Yeah, this is this was the 10th symphony that he, he died before he finished. Correct. And he um, he barely started. He had very much done, but they, they completed it. And because with AI now, just like how Google Assistant works, it can learn how he sketches and draws and does things um, and then allows the theme to work. And then he learns the melodies by saying this is what would happen next until it's all done. And so what they're saying now is, I mean, I guess the world is their oyster. Well, that, that does make sense because if you feed in enough data points about how somebody actually composes music, then AI should be able to extrapolate that. Well, yeah, bad news um, that it's tough on new composers and people who are breaking the market and um, or people who have uh, the word out that uh, they're getting copied. Good news is this. If you love Beethoven and Ludwig and all the great composers, you can you can always get them new brand. They'll be brand new. Beethoven's coming out, which if you love Beethoven, why wouldn't you want that? <laughs> I can give you another positive uh, aspect of this. Uh, there's something called stock music. When, okay. yeah, you know, yeah. when you need uh, just some sort of an music, ad, an yeah. ad a, 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 a soundtrack, something. And you have all these, these musicians who are, are slaving away, coming up with these bits and pieces of songs that they may or may not be you know, copying somebody because they don't know, you know, if, if, if what they've written as a piece of stock music is the same as somebody else's stock music. So the idea of having AI write this incidental score stuff um, is, is, is very attractive because uh, you can make sure that you have something truly new, unique, and you can t- actually tell the program, I'm doing a a commercial for Halloween candy. I need some. Oh, it's unbelievable. Exactly. Candy. Yeah. And the AI will come up with that. But Alan, but doesn't that take jobs away from the guys who it are does. trying to do that now? It does. Including it's you again. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Oh, no, I get how good it is. Um, I just wonder, is everyone going to be just a computer geek that can do everything? And whether it be music or write speeches or letters or is, I mean, is that the future? Is that the smart way things are going to happen? I'll give you another one. There are certain programs that you can use in a newsroom to create uh, scripts for newscasts. Yes, I heard about that. Yeah. And that's scary. It's unbelievable. Um, And I know I say that a lot, but it is. It is. And, you know, things that we read about and watched as we grow up is all happening. 
all these things are really happening. Um, so well, the, that's the, another. The AI uh, thing is is accelerating. It is there's not a day that goes by that you don't read something about. Yeah, and it's our job to tell people about it. So it's kind of cool. and, and for prepare um, prepare yourself because it's it's uh, you can either you know ignore it and be left in the dust or just go along for the ride. Well, that's, you know that's why you can do this show is that we want to be prepared and uh-huh. and not be left in the dust. None of us. So um, now that leads me to my final news of the day, which is uh, an interesting one because you have what we'll call a mobility story that that now has. Uh, created a, a big community problem, and that is e-scooters. Right. Um, so the best one, I, I mean, we all read about it, but the big news right now in, in Edmonton is all the candidates who are running for government um, are being asked to bring their e-scooter strategy to their political platform because it's causing two problems. First, the fact that they're just left everywhere on the sidewalks. That's your littering side, okay? And people litter, fall off, run into them. And and second one, of course, is the safety side. So, um, and I and I want to, I want to, I talked about this in, in EVs too. So what they're saying now is scooters, people are hitting people. So they're flying along. And because, you know, these scooters are amazing. You have scooters that can do 70 kilometers an hour. I've seen them. They don't, yeah, so people are running down these paths and... And, and hitting people. And, and, and the reason, the main problem with these, of course, a blind person isn't going to see it. Okay. I will call even partially sighted. So that's a real problem. Um, and so then what you have, the next one is, but you know, when they say that, that's exactly what I've been saying about e- electric vehicles is that drive a Porsche, which I only keep bringing them up because you have one and I love them. Um, and you, if it's electric, you can't hear it. You could walk right out and just hit it, run over. And so now they're talking about giving sound to scooters, ironically, before they even are pushing it hard on cars, even though they've talked about it. Um, but it's very dangerous. So they want to now bring controls for that. Now, here's the funny part. After that, I just read about a company, and I don't want to talk about it today, but we just brought a, a, a pedestrian warning system that you put along sidewalks and and scooter lanes to warn people. So there you go. But uh, I'm sure it's sensors and, and meters and so on. But um, this whole e-scooter thing, which is, you know, we know it's a, it's a phenom. And you brought up Nashville. And I right here in Toronto, I see it. But it's funny how, and we're doing mobile scooters, so, you know, electric scooters and that from mobility and parking garages, which of course, again, are causing problems. So it's amazing. Yeah, and the liability that goes along with each and every one of these things, uh, not only for the rider, but the manufacturer, because if you run into a little old lady at 70 kilometers an hour on one of these rented scooters, you can see that there's gonna be a problem. And we, and I don't know what the problem, I don't know where the liability has been pushed yet, but you're dead on. and. Um, but it's funny, you, 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 you look at these scooters, and I, and I look at them and go, wow, that's a great idea. I see a guy motoring past my house. I go, now that's cool. Yeah. But then I realize, oh, all of a sudden we've now created, what I'm going to say is terrible, but more bureaucracy. Well, let's go back to the Segway. Remember when the Segway was introduced? Yeah. yeah. This is a great piece of mobility. It's going to transform cities. 
And it didn't. And, then, and it didn't because, first of all, they were expensive. Secondly, nobody could dis- could decide what kind of vehicle they were. Yeah, was it on street, off street, sidewalk, curb, um, cop enforcement? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, and I think versions versions of those, not necessarily by the same company, but they are. You know, they got rid of that. Their that company got rid of the initial version that we all like, but now has new versions. Um, and I think that um, that idea still, I think. Is, is a good idea. I think that even though it failed its first round, um, I believe that that still has a big, big future in, in, the, in the world of uh, travel and enforcement and deliveries and so on. But then, you know, people keep thinking about bureaucracies and red tape. Well, you know, you invite one thing, you, you invent one thing, you invite five other things. So let's stay tuned on the scooter. And where it goes, because I th- think, Alan, it's going to have a big effect on all the EV mobility things that come out. Let me set this up again. Katherine Harrison is a musician turned performance coach who is enlisted by companies to help employees get the most out of their jobs, while also maintaining balance, perspective, and well-being. She has a book called Three Colors, Twelve Notes, The Alchemy of Curiosity, Creativity, and Human-Centered Leadership. When she was in, we just kept talking and talking and talking because it was just so fascinating. So we decided to break that interview into two podcasts. Here we go with part two. Okay, so I went through this, you know, always worrying about the results to everybody else, realizing that's not how it works. And I had someone teach me um, how to manage and how that it's all about everybody together. It's all about respecting everybody. Always did. But it was never the put the pressures, take away the pressure, take away the noise. Um, and so if you can get the guy on top to believe in the process, it's easy. It's not nothing's easy. It's easier. But if you can't get, if you're just walking around with the guys in the shipping receiving department or the people in the in the tech department, and they all buy in. It's really going to be tough to go anywhere with us. I was at a session once, very similar to what we're talking about here. And the guy leading the session faced a uh, division president who was not buying in, who was reticent, who was sales focused, laser sales focused. And in the middle of this session, he raised a scenario and the president put up his hand and says, no, that's wrong. And with two sentences, he nailed our division president against the wall. And you could hear a pin drop in that entire ballroom. And that was the thing that changed it. The culture changed thereafter because he got it. The guy at the top got it. And it was- You got to. It was amazing. Hold on. I'm not the actual. I'm not saying you got to. I'm saying my experience, the biggest one, the one that has the most effort has to work at the hardest is the guy on top. And, and so, so I agree. It is definitely easier when the leader and the leaders uh, buy into it. Oh, I it. meant leaders. And, I'm and, sorry, I meant leaders. But you know, because you've got your, maybe the head honcho, but you have the C-suite guys who are, or yep. gals who are, who are doing all of the um, direct interacting. It's definitely easier if they have had those, insights themselves as to how they show up and how they interact and how they can be both very results-oriented and human-centered, right? 
that that's one of the most important things that you can, in fact, and should, in fact, be very explicit in expectations, in providing feedback, in having measurement. Because if we don't, it's just a big kumbaya you know, session. Yeah, yeah. We, we got to make money. And because we got to make or, money. Or do whatever the goal is. It may not be money, but I'm talking to business. Yeah. We, we, we're not, maybe we don't even have any sessions because no employees. We're not realizing whatever strategic imperatives we're trying to realize. Right? Now, now, we have gone the other way. Like, I mean, we, every, not every, but. You read a lot about it now. What, and too touchy-feely? Yes. Um, no. Oh, I don't know if we have gone. I said we've gone the other way. Didn't say it was the wrong way. Okay. I'm saying we have gone touchy-feely. That's a good good, good way to say it. As you know, we had the biggest cheerleader in the world on our second episode, Sandy Garter, who runs, you know, third in command at, on, on Amazon. And you felt that that was her job. She was out there feeling, making everyone feel good. I don't know how you do that in a company that big. But anyhow, my point is, it was very, very, it's all about just being positive. Yes. And and we know that can get results. But now we're talking about, no, we know we can. I didn't say it did always. It does sometimes. But but look at all the companies now. Um, Now, let's go the other way. Look at all the people now who are saying, you know what? I want my free space. You know what? Um, I want to, I want this three day week here and two day week here. Yeah. I don't want this title. I want to do this because I can do better. These are happening today now that never happened before. And yes, I get COVID was involved because I want to get there. Right. But that was happening before COVID. Um, it started in the Silicon Valley. Um, it always was going to go that way. COVID accelerated to prove that it works. Like there's a lot of companies who would have said, we want to do this. We won't let people go home or not, but we don't think there's buy-in. And now we realize there's mass buy-in. But still, 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 where do you, where do you break the line when you're working with people? Where do you say, well, wait a minute, you do have a company to work for. Wait a minute, you can't do all of that. But we are there where people are starting to be empowered or empowering themselves Maybe more than in some cases. So drawing the line is going to be a difficult thing for all of us as, com- as companies. I don't care what you call it. Call yeah. it sports. I don't care. Yeah, it doesn't really matter where, where there are groups of humans. You've got the same dynamics, generally speaking. I, I want to circle back, if I may, though, Grant, to to the comment around the touchy-feeliness, right? Because, again, that goes to the binary assumptions that we make when we talk about human-centered leadership and human-focused ecosystems at work and, you know, everything's got to be touchy-feely. I actually disagree wholeheartedly that that approach is the right approach. Okay. Um, I believe strongly that you can be both human-centered and extremely clear, direct, give feedback, uh, expect I have fired people with whom I am still friends because I could be very human centered and still be very clear that this behavior okay, but that's a tough, is, but that's where it's tough. That's absolutely. The whole and that's the thing about a human. It's a tough gig, right? Which is why often we default one or the other. I'm either this very touchy feely human centered thing, or I'm a very strategic results oriented because to actually be both is some heavy lifting and I'm going to have to take the time 
and continued effort and awareness and focus to develop that skill over time in the midst of everything else I'm also trying to focus on. And that's why this is, this is why this, it's tough. I don't have any easy answers. Okay. So can you, uh, this is putting on the spot. That's okay. I love it. Can you give me a, an example of a brand name company that we know, mm. a great company that's doing great things like this? <laughs> no, I can't right off the top of my head. Not even any Silicon Valley pl uh, places that offer free laundry. and. Well, I, uh, see, I don't agree with any of that stuff. Yeah. I don't, well, no, that's well, just to get a, that's, that's how you get a guy hired. That's how you give him free everything so right, they'll take a job. Right. I get that. But can you tell me a company that has got this right? Or, or is going in that direction that we know? Like, a, I don't know. I'm not I saying there isn't. Is Amazon? Is that, I, I don't know. I don't think so. No, no. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say Amazon. You know what I'm and, I, and I would like to say the interesting thing about uh, like the Googles of the world okay, and that, the that, that model of, you know, the ping pong tables mm -hmm. and the amazing food and everything, it is superficial. They Absolutely might, they might it like is. it, but. But those are the same entities that actually, if you read uh, Glassdoor, people yeah, are sure. just terribly sure. miserable working there because the culture is terrible. Absolutely. So, so those are distractions. Those are surface yeah. uh, tchotchkes that people are given so that they don't actually have to do the heavy lifting of saying, you know what, if we want to hire these people and have them be here, how do we realize the success outcomes that we want? At the same time, ensuring that these whole human beings actually have a life. And it doesn't mean that they can come and go as they please and they just go, I'm going to Bali for three months and whatever. But who, who, who makes that? See, well, I think, you know, what's interesting. I, I, again, the infrastructure in which we all live, the three of us included, including how we all make and develop wealth from a stock market means that organizations, generally speaking, have a real um, almost, I think that, I think there's a, a feeling that we can't actually not do this because if we did, if we said, instead of making a hundred million dollars this year, we'd like to make, uh, we'd like to make a hundred million dollars next year and a hundred million dollars the year after that, even though that would be, that'd be a good company. And we could actually bring value to our customers and to the world. People would be paid well. Isn't that nice? They'd have, but the shareholders would lose their minds. Correct. And you'd be saying, I don't want to have stock in, in a, in a, okay. <laughs> right? So let's so answer the infrastructure that. is part so, of the problem. So there, and I'm part of the problem too. So there's the, there's the, um, I, I have a, uh, a question about, you must be dealing a lot with COVID anxiety and the reorganization of work right now. So many people are, A, waking up and saying, I don't need this anymore. I'm going to quit and focus more on myself rather than be a slave to my job. Secondly, you have people who want to come back to work but are afraid to because of things that may happen with COVID or they don't want to give up some of the freedoms that they have enjoyed during the, the, uh, the pandemic. So how, what are you telling companies about the new accommodations they're going to have to make when it comes to employees? So um, again, no easy answers, but one of the, one of the 
activities that I would encourage every leader to do, regardless of where even in the organization, is to ask more questions. So cultivate that reflective mindset, say, hmm, this is how we were doing things before. This is how we've been doing things for the past 19 months. And maybe there's been five different ways of doing things. This is what we're thinking of doing as we move towards who knows what, a hybrid or whatever. Invite conversation, invite people to be part of the solution. I recognize it's not going to be as easy as just the three of us leaders sitting around mapping it all out and then telling people. But if you actually want buy-in, if you actually want to get below the surface of what people are thinking anyway, which is going to drive their behavior anyway, either within the organization or when they finally decide, screw it, I'm out of here. Inviting people to reflect on how could we, you know, Joe, down there who never gets asked his opinion, how might we realize the outcomes in this new changing world? What ideas do you have, Joe? How about you, Susie? And if they're like, well, we just want to do it. I said, no, no, we're just, this is, has to be progressive, forward thinking. We're not making decisions, but I would love to hear from you. Because it is often in the space of people being invited to join the conversation to, to join the, um, the problem-solving process, the creative problem-solving process, where, where you actually get greater engagement. I, I, I know for a fact the people, many people I speak with and work with feel that they have tons of insight about their organization, about the work that they do, about the clients with whom they work, and they are never actually asked to step up and be part of a conversation around creative problem solving for the now or for the foreseeable oh, no, rapidly no, you changing can't future. can't do that because that disrupts the hierarchy. There you go. Well, yeah. and, and also, hold on. And, and in many cases, the answer will be, we don't have time. Right. So and that's another <laughs> thing, which is, unfor- and that is the paradigm, right? Fast, 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 hamster, hamster, hamster. So another thing is that I encourage people to do, not always popular, but people nod even they go, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but they're nodding, is to slow down in order to speed up. Because you can be going at the speed of light, but nothing is actually happening. Nothing is actually changing for the better. No meaningful change is happening. You're not really understanding your customers, your clients. your your. So if you slow down, which is uncomfortable because that's not the way our world works, you can, in fact, notice how, in fact, to speed up. And be, how, be- and be better at what you do. And to be better at what you do. So, so um, and this word's going to lead us to, to near the end and what we're all about here. Um, I think COVID, as Alan said, has created, we've allowed people to come out of the closet. Um, and and I, I mean, don't mean that in a rhetorical sense. You know what I mean? And so, so now we have these, ten, we're, we're finding talented people. I did it. I find people I didn't know were that talented. Um, but, but so so let's make the assumption there's there's the new world. There's not it's not going back the way it was before COVID in anything. Um, so we have this new hybrid that really nobody knows how to handle yet. But would there be agreement because of the internet of things or because of everything we have now today, although we can take the negative side of it, which we should never do, but technology 
will have a big effect on how people move forward with their lifestyles. Sure, of course. Um, and, and to your point, I think that, um, you know, COVID uh, amplified what was already happening and accelerated what was already happening, right? It was happening. It's just that it was just lighter fluid on, on what was happening. And the, again, back to the non-binary nature of good or bad in a given situation, I think everyone who has lived through this can articulate both the upsides of working from home remotely and the downsides of working from home remotely and, you know, technology. I, I had this conversation to the group yesterday. I want everyone list all of the ways technology and rapidly evolving technology has made your lives better in the last couple of years. Perfect. And say, Perfect. and then make a list of all the ways it has made your life worse in the last couple of years. And the law, the lists were equally long and the conclusion was both things can be true at the same time. So how do we notice that to come back into balance as Alan says? Let's talk about your book quickly. Uh, Three colors, 12 notes. It's the alchemy of, Curiosity, Creativity, and Human-Centered Leadership. Uh, tell me what this book is about. So it is definitely a COVID baby because uh, I, I wrote it um, because all of my travel plans had evaporated in the span of two weeks. Remember March? I do, <laughs> yes. And so um, I, had been, I had been gathering writings over, over the preceding couple of years, actually, Alan. And I just decided, hey, I, all of a sudden my 2020 has an open calendar. So I, I'm going to gather these uh, reflections. It's it's part memoir. It is part uh, storytelling. It's part sharing of information. Some of it's very personal. Some of it is anecdotal observations about uh, people uh, and leadership, my my experiences. And and in, in addition to that, it is definitely an invitation for the reader to also contextualize the stories through their own lives and experiences to go, hmm, when I read this, okay. what does it make me think? I think that's the best part of the book so far. Um, you can, I think anyone that, and I, I encourage everyone to um, get the book, um, except for Alan, you might have to get the one where, you know, the, the one where- The big print. Or, or get the one that where it talks to you. Yeah, get the live the book. Audio book. So I'm not sure if you can read it. I'll read it, it live. Okay, um, thank you. But, um, Everyone, and I have someone else reading it, Alan, as well right now, who likes it and is already making quotes to me because I'm not as far finished yet. But it, essentially, you can you can you will not fail to relate to it. But then it has the concepts of how to be better and the things you can do positively. And uh, in this type of world, that's the type of things I hope people are reading. Yeah, and you know it, what's interesting. Um, I mean, I'm as much of a mess of a human as anybody, right? I mean, we, we all just kind of oh, keep Oh, you don't moving. know Alan very well. <laughs> we just keep moving. And interestingly, <laughs> you know, six or seven months after it was published, you know, I, I didn't want to look at it again. You know, after you've read X number of edits, you're like, oh my God, I just don't never want to read it again. <laughs> you never finish a book, you abandon it. <laughs> That's right. And I finally thought, I want to see after six months, I want to experience it as a reader. And it was really interesting because you know what? I did those reflection questions myself as a reader and they were still as relevant to me because yeah, they will be relevant forever. Those kind of questions like, hey, what does this mean to you now? I could have written it three years ago, but I, I'm a different person. I've, I've lived through a pandemic now. 
how might my insights or perspectives have now, changed? Uh, a second book would be interesting because it'll be now when the pen, guys, if the pandemic ever finishes, because I'm, you know, I don't know what type of life we, uh, we have forward for us. I'm a very positive person that we don't worry about those things that we stay positive what we're doing, but it'd be an interesting follow-up to, um, okay, this is what I felt during now we're posting, look at all the things and look how we reacted to it. Did we react the way we thought, which probably will happen. Um, will people be, I, I personally, uh, I've said this many times to Alan. I think Alan agrees that, it has caused us all to be better people. Even the worst of the worst have found something inside them that I blown away with that I know. Okay. And it caused everyone to take the time to be more courteous. We should have been from day one. Um, and to be more positive about things. I think it's happening. Uh, and I think that, uh, that what your book reflects that too, is how to, how to do that. Maybe, maybe we could, export you to the United States. Oh dear. No. And, and try and figure out how to get past that horrible tribalism that seems to, I know we're so lucky to be here. Well, I was, I was just going to say to Grant's comment about everyone has, you know, really upped their game through the pandemic. I think that what we've seen is, uh, whichever way you were swaying, you, you really went more, you know, it has amplified that. So the tribalism, as you say, or the us versus them, or, you know, um, science denial or whatever. But again, all of that um, is really rooted in mistrust, is a very human thing, which is I don't trust systems anymore. I don't trust and, infrastructure and anymore. And where does it start? At the top. Yeah. At the very yeah. top. You know? So um, Questioning is not a problem. Yeah. So, and, and again, a, a very root element of all the work that I do, um, certainly who I am as an artist and a songwriter and a musician and, and a, a, just a, a community member is, is really a passionately, you know, um, I guess, evergreen state of curiosity. Yeah, I'm just yeah, so interested no, no, in the way things great. work, you know? Thank you for coming in, Catherine. Uh, again, the book is called Three Colors, Twelve Notes, The Alchemy of Curiosity, Creativity, and, the hum and Human-Centered Leadership. I've been flipping through it. I see some interesting quotes. I see some of these reflection questions that you're talking about. And I think this would benefit anyone uh, who is looking for a little bit of more balance in their life and a little more control over how they react and how they behave in even the most strenuous situations. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me here today, guys. It's Thank been a you. real pleasure. And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. Thanks again to Catherine Harrison. Again, the book is Three Colors, Twelve Notes, The Alchemy of Curiosity, Creativity, and Human-Centered Leadership. Doesn't matter if you're an employee, a manager, or a C-suite sort of person, this should be required reading. Upcoming programs will feature more smart people and their ideas for connecting us together through smart technologies. If you have any questions or comments, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog and check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time. Smart City.